0: First nine verses, it's there in the bulletin. Genesis 12. This um this spring break, my wife and daughter and I went to DC and threw a couple of books in the suitcase to, to read on the trip, and, and I one of the books that I threw in was a book that I've owned almost the whole time that I've lived in Greenville. That's almost 18 years now, but I had never gotten around to reading it, and it just the stars aligned and it was time to read it. But it's the biography of Vardry Macbee. So if you know uh, Macbee Avenue downtown, don't say McBee or you'll seem like a newbie, okay? Vardrie Macbee, um, his, his statue is across Main Street from the Poinsett Hotel near, near Court Street. But I'd never read his biography. He was born really close to the time of the Revolution and died during the time of the Civil War. And um, anything I learn about Greenville history, I bounce it off my brother Mel Duncan, our stated clerk, to see if it'd be true or not true. And so I I read this biography, and we had lunch a few weeks ago, and I said, Mel, it feels like uh, Vardry McBee's life and sort of his tone got in the DNA of our city. Uh, When a lot of people around him were very dialed up, and South Carolina was very dialed up about a lot of things, Vardry McBee was not like that. He was a very measured man. Uh, in fact, the name of the book is "Vardry MacBee: A Man of Reason in an Age of Extremes." And I asked Mel, "Do you think he helped set the tone for our city?" And he said, "I think he did." I think that's amazing. I think that somebody that lived generations from us could sort of set the tone for things that are in our life, the way our life, the way our life feels, how experienced Greenville. It, it's really way, way, way more the case that the way God dealt with Abraham. And things that Abraham was put through, they really set the DNA in a lot of ways for the life of those who would be God's people. And I think you really see that in this passage. Now, I know Abraham had an extremely unique calling. We're not patriarchs. We have our calling and he had his. So I don't want to draw too big a parallel. But I just mean, you're going to see things in this passage that really become normative for the people of God. And I want to put this before you because I think it's very relevant just for the Christian life in general. But as you're at this inflection point of becoming your own established church and the future that you'll have, maybe as you'll plant church, daughter churches of your own, it's, it's a great time to look at this passage. I think it's familiar to a lot of you. So uh, Abram's name has not been changed to Abraham yet. still Abram. He, uh, he's 75 years old and his beautiful wife, Sarai, and he cannot have children. They have hit a brick wall of infertility. And for no reason that we know of, God shows up to this man with a pagan upbringing. And here's what happens. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, And your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so privileged. We're so thankful to be in worship. To have the privilege of doing the thing You made us to do. And we're especially privileged to see today this church become its own established church. Lord Jesus, a new lampstand in Your presence. Uh, As we do so, we want to ask that the words of my mouth... And the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, pretty early on when I moved here as a new pastor in Greenville, used to have a lot of meetings at Coffee Underground and um, my office was near there. I had an office on Coffee Street. And I remember one day I was meeting with uh, somebody involved with downtown Prez, and I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but this person was going through a time of, of suffering. And so we were talking about the fact of, yeah, that there, we have suffering in this life, and God promised that we would have suffering. It's part of following Christ, but but there's something after that. And so you got a picture, we're in these tables at Coffee Underground, and um, I'm so close to the table next to me, and so the visiting with this person across from me. But the next table, we're almost elbow to elbow as I'm talking. And at some point, I said something like, well, you know, I know it's so painful now, but that's what's going to change in the new earth. And I literally, out of the corner of my eye, saw the person, they were bringing their coffee cup up to their mouth, and they went, like, what? And at that moment, I, I, I could almost get in their skin and hear how that must have sounded like, I know that we have problems now, but then we'll go to the new earth. Almost like, and we'll meet Gandalf, and we'll go to the Grey Havens to be with the elves. I, I'm, like, it must have sounded weird. And that's the thing, I, I'm talking about something that I can't prove, and I can't see, and I, to whatever degree God's letting me, I'm speaking into someone's life and saying, this is actually true and it matters, and it reframes your suffering. But, but it's, an, it's an act of faith. You know, and for all the Bible words that aren't defined, faith, thankfully, is defined. Faith is the assurance of things, what? Hoped for. And then here's the doozy. And the conviction of things, what? Not seen. This is a passage that just from the get-go lets you see that God is calling a people to Himself. And they are not just going to have to like, engage once in a while in faith. They're going to have to live a life of faith. And God is going to bless them in the midst of living by faith. Not because of their faith, but as they live by faith. So I want to look at a couple of things here briefly. Um, I want to think in terms of blessing... Because God talks about blessing Abram. I want to think about how, what, what the blesser says when the blesser speaks. So the blesser speaks, and the blessed responds. Okay, So the blesser speaks, and the blessed responds. Uh, we're just diving in. We're just kind of you know, opening our bulletins and reading Genesis 12. It's hard to appreciate how long it's been since anyone has heard God's voice in this way. Here's what one Jewish commentator said named uh, Nahum Sarna, and I would agree. He says, "...the divine silence that persisted for ten generations..." Now think how long that is. "...the divine silence that persisted for ten generations is shattered. The voice that first set creation in motion and that when last heard by man brought a message of hope and blessing to the race, resounds once more. And what he's saying is, we really haven't had an account of God speaking into people's lives like this since Noah. And now to a man with a pagan upbringing who didn't grow up going to vacation Bible school, didn't go to Sunday school, God burst into his life and he, and he speaks. What does he speak? What does he say? And I want to think about a couple of things. He speaks about the future and he, thinks about the pre- and he speaks about the present. Um, look, at the, look at the recurrence of I will. Now, when, when people talk about what it is that God um, promises to Abraham, they'll list it differently, they'll divide it differently, but I'm just going to mention two of the biggies. Number one, I'm going to give you all these descendants. Yeah, not just people will come from you, nations will come from you. Cultures will come from you. You'll have so many descendants, it'll be like trying to count the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore. And he's saying this to an elderly man whose wife can't get pregnant. Okay, so that's the first one. I will do that in the future. The other is, I will give you land. I'm going to give you the land of the Canaanites. I will give you descendants more than you can imagine. You want a child so bad right now, you're not going to believe how many descendants you have. I'm going to give you land that you can't dream of. I will do that in the future. By the way, when I, I think for a lot of my life, when I thought of God saying, I'm going to give you this land, I almost pictured it not God holding Abraham like Lion King, but almost just like Lion King, like one day all this will be yours. Just more like God saying, okay, look, Canaan, one day, Abram, all this will be yours. And He's just looking out on pastures and rolling hills. That's not right. Because the promised land is inhabited by the Canaanites. And the Canaanites don't want to be displaced. So He's saying that land inhabited by people that don't want you to displace them, it'll be yours. I will do that. What about the present? Well, in the present, God speaks differently. Verse 1. Go. Go. I will give you descendants. I will give you land. Your cup's gonna. If I may put it this way, your cup will runneth over. But for now, in the present, go from your country and from your kindred and to your father's hand, uh, to your father's house, uh, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. At seventy-five, and that thing about. Go to the land, and I'll, I'll show you when you get there. To me, that's the worst part. It would be like if you had a personal trainer. It'd be, it's the difference between a personal trainer saying, okay, I'm going to have you do burpees. If you don't know what burpees are, that's a, a terrible exercise that was invented by unbalanced people <laughs> for their own amusement. But it's the difference between a trainer saying, okay, I want you to do burpees for time, for sixty seconds versus a trainer saying, "Do burpees and I'll tell you when to stop." Uh, bad trainer. I don't want the second. I need I need definition and constraints. Go to the land that I'll show you. I, I want you to think about this. Our present cravings are God's future gifts. Let me say that again. Our Our present cravings are God's future gifts. And here's what I mean by that. What do we deeply crave as human beings? And I mean, like, it's so personal that sometimes we'll just give it other names. We won't really say what we want. But if we really said what we really want, what might we say? I want an immortal body. I don't mean I want to look like a model. I mean, I want to shine and pulse with... Life. I don't ever want to get cancer. And I don't want to deteriorate. And I never want to have Alzheimer's. And I don't want to die. So I want an immortal body. I want wealth. I want to never worry about not having enough means. I want bliss. I want unending bliss. And I don't want to do that thing where I'm waiting for the shoe to drop when I get happy. I want bliss that doesn't stop. I want my loved ones to be there. I also don't want to have to live by faith. I want to see it all. If we were honest, that's what we really crave. And here's the thing, and I'll get to this a little bit more in a second. Those are the very things that God promises in the future of His people. But He says for now, you're not going to see any of that. What I'm calling you to do right now as I speak into your life is to go and to trust Me. And it's painful. Uh, It's painful when your body doesn't work out or your money doesn't work out or your loved one's hurt or the shoe does drop. And again, sometimes we don't say this out loud, but this thing that wells up in our hearts is, God, I thought You cared. And if we were honest, what we mean by God, I thought you'd care is, God, I thought you'd give me the thing that I want right now. I thought you'd give us the desires of our heart. But what we're really saying is, I thought you'd give me the desires of my heart right now. And God doesn't give us all the details about our future that we'd like, but He says, I will give you the desires of your heart to a degree. You can't even dream in the future. But for right now, trust me and go. How does, As God says this, how does, uh, how does Abram respond? How does the blessed one respond? A couple of things. He obeys what he knows, and he worships the blesser. He obeys what he knows, and he worships the blesser. First, he, he obeys what he knows. Um, a friend of mine has said this before. I don't know if it's original to her, but sometimes things are so simple they're profound. This would be one of those examples of something that's so simple... Is profound. My friend said, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And what all does He not know? How will Sarah get pregnant? How could we live in a land full of Canaanites that don't want us to inhabit it and own it? How is He going to do all that? God doesn't explain that. What does God say? Go. And then look at these verbs of motion. I'm I'm just going to read through. Starting in verse four, Abram went. He departed. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land. From there, he moved to the hill country. In this last verse, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. I mean, Moses wrote this for you to feel this elderly man set up, tear down, set up, tear down, set up the tent. Break down the tent. Tie the animals. Untie the animals. At 75 years old. Go. The unknowns of transition. And in this room, I'm sure there are all kinds of transitions. I don't know everyone in this room. But you're going through transitions right now. Some of you are going through transitions of school. My youngest daughter is about to leave for college. And Dana and I, Dana my wife, you probably could have guessed that without me saying that she's my wife, I don't live with a woman, that. well I do live with a woman named Dana and I'm married to a woman named Dana. But Dana and I are about to look up and be empty nesters and have started marriage counseling to try to get ahead of, this is going to be weird. Some of you are in employment transition. It may be that you just moved here from somewhere else and you wonder, will I really have community here? Will I really have connection and friendship? Will people know me? Will they see me and love me for who I am? Or you're about to transition out. You've experienced that here and now you're about to go somewhere else. This, this church plant together is about to have a transition. Where it will move from, and this may sound like white, wild, wild Presbyterian lingo, but it's important. You'll go from Jonathan being the only elder to there being a group of your elders and your deacons. And it will change the feel. The unknowns of transition. What should you do? Obey what you know. Will God tell you all the details ahead of time? How it will go for resurrection prayers. How it will go with your move. Or how it will go with your life in, in Greenville. How it will go with singleness. How it will go with marriage. Does God give you all the details you want? No. What does He say? Trust me. Abram obeys what he knows. Doesn't know where or how this trip ends. And he worships the blesser. Um... There's an Old Testament scholar named Derek Kidner. He's with the Lord now, but just has a great little commentary on Genesis. And Derek Kidner made a great point. He said, look in verses 7 and 8 and look at the contrast between the verbs pitched and built. Okay, let's read it, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram, so he, Abram sees him. And the Lord said, to your offspring I will give this land... So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar. Verse 8, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He, He pitched the tent of someone who will move he built altars for the ongoing worship of a God who is to be worshipped where you are, and built the altars with permanence. <clears throat> well, what are we to do with all this? Because as I said at the beginning, I, you know, we're not patriarchs, and Abram had a very distinctive life. What are we supposed to do with all this? I want you to think about this: that um, this is this amazing exchange of God. You know, when I, when I. When I picture this conversation with Abram, I've said this to our church, I almost picture Google Earth. You know, I don't know if you can... If you, Google Earth is boring now, but, but like it was so cool when we first had Google Earth. You get like the whole planet and you put in your coordinates for your address and then you zoom in from like all the way out in space to, you know, United States, South Carolina, Greenville, your neighborhood so cool. I, I picture Earth and then what we now call the Holy Land, and it just gets closer and closer. And here's this man named Abram who grew up with pagan parents. Like, the evidence seems to suggest he came from a family that would have worshipped the moon. And zeroes in on this man named Abram and just for no merit, no deserving, nothing he did to earn it, God zeroes in on him and says, I'm going to make you the embodiment of what it looks like for me to bless someone. I I will make you a blessing and all these nations will be blessed through you. Now that's awesome. But here's what I want us to think about before we wrap up. Scripture indicates that before that exchange, there was another exchange. And we don't get a lot of details about this in the Bible. But we get these hints and clues that before there was an earth and before there was molecule number one, there was a commitment between God the Father and God the Son. And that in effect, God the Father said to God the Son, Go, and I will make you a curse. You will be a curse for My people. And as you are cursed, all families on earth will be blessed. The book of Galatians, that's in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul, quotes this passage and says that the ultimate fulfillment of an offspring that would come from Abram, who would change the world, and all the families of the world would be blessed, The fulfillment of that prophecy is Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham, coming and taking on Himself the curse that people like us deserve that the blessing of God can fall on His people even though we don't deserve it, even though we can't earn it because Christ became a curse for us. Abram is blessed, and Abram is super displaced. And I want to look you in the eye and say, I'm still coming to grips with this, so I'm a fellow struggler, but I want to look you in the eye and say, when displacement comes that God sends to us, because it's the norm in the Christian's life, it's the norm of being part of the people of God, when displacement comes, we don't like it, and we want to shoo it off the porch. And I want to look you in the eye and say, "Let it in." And I don't know what that's going to mean for you individually, or for you as a church community. Um, when when Downtown Press first started talking about uh, planning a church, and Tim U Dodge was sort of our point person and did our research and communicated and kind of taught the church, discipled our church about church planning. I thought that was great because Tim did such a great job and I loved working with Tim U Dodge. And then we looked up and he realized that God was calling him to plan it. And it slayed me. And I loved Tim being our first church planner, but it slayed me not to get to work with him. He was a joy. And I will tell you, in no uncertain terms, I feel the exact same thing about your pastor. I loved working with Jonathan. He was a joy to work with. And it was a joy to send him out as a second church planner. but it was disruptive. And I mean this in the most brotherly way. It hurt. And sending some of y'all out. Hurt. It was a good hurt. But it hurt. And... Man, it's so American, and it comes so naturally to us to kind of just protect our little existence and protect our little comforts and just kind of carve out this cocoon of the way we want life to be. And man, God will disrupt that like that. And I want to exhort you to embrace it as a church and embrace it individually. If your community group gets big, that's awesome. But at that point, you need to multiply we're trying to learn not to say split multiply and i'm i mean it's always the case that somebody in a community group goes but it was like it was just when i loved it it was just when we gelled it was kind of like just we had gelled as a group we had told our stories we trusted each other we'd walked through these things with each other and now we're going to multiply and it changes everything it does and it spreads out the people of god and that's god's way you may look up and resurrection, there is a brother or sister in Christ who says, I think that God is sending me to another state, another country to minister the Gospel. And man, that sounds cool in principle until like that's your friend or that's your child or that's your sibling. And this mental picture of how we thought Christmas would always be or Thanksgiving would always be or birthdays would always be. Now it's been disrupted. And I want to exhort you, embrace it. The fact that people were disrupted before us is how the Gospel came to people like us. Um, But I want to come full circle and say this. The one who went, the one who did the real going before us, the one who trusted his father and acted is not primarily Abram. It's primarily our Lord Jesus. Oh, how he was displaced. Oh, the pain of his displacement. And he journeyed and he rose from the dead and he ascended to the father And He is in the bliss that we anticipate. And the money in the bank that that's true for us is His resurrection from the dead and His ascension. But He suffered. He was displaced. And then He went to those realities that we anticipate. Follow Him. Follow Him to your immortal body. Follow Him to bliss where the shoe never drops. Follow Him to wealth. And spending forever with those you love. But the way is through painful disruption. And as God brings that into your life individually and into the life corporately of resurrection prayers, He is loving you. And the kingdom is coming. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we pray in Jesus' name that this church called Resurrection Presbyterian would be a lampstand in your presence, Lord Jesus, in the heavenly court until you return. That it would shine brightly in word and in deed. Lord, would you raise up men and women who will be pillars here? who will be pillars of the community, who will love this place, who will show the love of Christ in Greenville for a long time? Would you also raise up children, brothers and sisters sisters of ours who will go? Who will go to church plants? Who will go to other countries and be displaced that the blessings of Abraham might come to all those who believe? Lord, help us not to resent displacement. You are blessing us. Thank You for the bliss that we anticipate. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.